0: Hello and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Joseph Cacharo. What's going on? Excited for the playoffs. And Joe Wolfon. What up? We are here to uh, do this bonus episode uh, in advance of the NBA playoffs, which are finally upon us. Um, We are going to preview every single series in the first round, all eight matchups. We're going to start with the Eastern Conference, the Toronto Raptors facing the Washington Wizards, the 1-8 series. Um... Typically speaking, I would say a number one would be very confident going into a number eight series. But there's some history between the two teams here. The Wizards, most notably, sweeping the Raptors in 2015 uh, in the series that, you know, Paul Pierce dunked on everybody, including Drake. Which is, um, it's, it's kind of implausible to think someone of Drake's stature could be dunked on by Paul Pierce in 2015. But it happened. Uh, the Raptors split the season series 2-2. Uh, Wolf, I'll start with you. Um, the Raptors are a top five the only top five team in both offense and defense this season they should feel a lot of confidence but um why should are some raptors fans concerned about the series Uh,
1: a couple things the most obvious one is that they have struggled in the playoffs pretty much every single year and even though they've over the last two years at least won the series i think they were expected to win they have not inspired a lot of confidence in doing it and it's been pretty clear that they've suffered a significant drop-off in their regular season performance compared to the playoffs their role players have never really stepped up when um, pressure comes for Lowry and DeRozan and for the most part to you know generalize a little bit they they just have looked a little bit rattled and I feel like they can talk all they want about how the ghosts of game one past haven't haunted them at all but um, I feel like it has to be in the back of their minds a little bit in the fact that they have lost, I think, 10 straight Game 1s. And even if you just look at the kind of Dwayne Casey, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan era, every single year they've opened the playoffs at home. Every single year they've lost Game 1. And it's just a little bit worrisome, especially when you look at a team like the Wizards, who are probably better than your typical eight seed. They play most of the season without their best player. And I think, uh, you know, conversely, when you compare them to the Raptors, this is a team that's uh, managed to actually up their level for the most part every playoffs, and that's a team that um, has not lost a first-round series in the Bradley Beal and John Wall era. So um, I think there's justifiable fear there, and there are a couple matchup things that we can probably get into. Um, about why the Raptors have a, a right to be concerned. And the fact that they split the season series, even though John Wall didn't play in any of those four games, uh, I think is a reason that the Wizards can go into that series feeling pretty confident.
2: Yeah, I think you touched on the matchups thing. It, this is the worst possible matchup for the Raptors. If you're, if you're just looking at the three teams they could have faced with Milwaukee and Miami as the other two options, this was by far the worst matchup for the Raptors, whether it's you know looking at the fact that um, John Wall seems to have Kyle Lowry's number, um, Otto Porter, who to me is the X factor in this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's questionable, I think for game one due to a calf injury, but I, I think we're going to assume he's going to play. Right. Uh, Otto Porter to me is the X factor because, you know, if you look at the four all-stars in this series, it's Lowry and Damar and Beal and Wall. I think you can assume they'd probably play each other to a round draw. I mean, Washington's got the better playoff performers. Sure. Um, yeah. the Raptors have the more consistent overall performers, you could probably say, but that should be a pretty close, even, even matchup. Um, across the top four players in the series. I think once you go after that, I think Otto Porter is by far the fifth best player in the series. Like I think the gap between Porter and everyone else in this series is a lot bigger than any gap in those four all-stars. And I also think that he can neutralize DeMar in a way um, that maybe no Raptors player can neutralize one of Mm -hmm. Washington stars. Uh, So I think Porter's a huge X factor. And yeah, I just think the matchup's not good. Gortat, Martin Gortat dominate Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, Will the Raptors adjust quickly enough in terms of pulling JV out, adjusting the way they defend pick and rolls? There's lots of things that they'd have to adjust to. Um, Bradley Beal always gives the Raptors fits. Uh, You know, the Raptors have the depth advantage, but as we've spoken about before, depth Mm -hmm. doesn't matter as much in the playoffs and rotations tighten. So I just think, yeah, if you look at the straight numbers and the advanced stats, the Raptors should win in a cakewalk. But a lot of those advanced stats and numbers uh, were built up in a time when the Wizards, like Joe said, were without their best player. So this mm-hmm. is far from a standard one-versus-eight matchup. And this is a lot tighter than any of these advanced stats will tell you.
0: Okay, let me make the case for the Raptors then. Because I feel like, um, you know, the Raptors, obviously, they have their playoff history. And, and it's sort of a reputation that gets, you know, repeated every single season. Um, but I feel like the Raptors are a little bit being undersold um, going into the playoffs. Um, you know, like, for example, 580 538 has the Raptors at a 91% chance to win the series, which I, I mean, personally, I think that's a bit high, but it's like, it's, it's indicative of how well the Raptors have played. This is a 59 win um, team. Uh, they, you know, like I said earlier, the only team in the NBA to be top five on both ends of the floor. And uh, while, you know, yes, John Wall and Bradley Beal are going to present some difficulties and Otto Porter is, um, you know, a, a ideal three and D type of player and even Gortat and even a guy like Markeith Morris can play a factor in a series. Um, But you look at the Raptors, I think the Raptors bench, like it's not necessarily that they're going to, you know, launch their bench against the Wizards bench because no one really plays like that in the playoffs it's just that the Raptors have a lot of options on their bench and they have a lot of flexible pieces that they can use to defend a team like Washington which primarily plays through their guards and it's very important to guard the rim and it's very important to run them off the three-point line when it's in the case of Beal or in the case of Wall duck under screens and try to force them to shoot mid-range shots um and the Raptors have the type of front court that could be really effective in guarding a team like Washington that primarily plays through the pick and roll. The Raptors have been one of the best pick and roll defenses in the NBA, and you know, you know, they have one weakness in Jonas Valanciunas, who um, you know has traditionally struggled against Gortat, like you mentioned. But they have Serge Ibaka, who's a very good rim protector when he plays to the five. Uh, they have Jakob Poeltl, who's just been a very good rim protector. Period. He's also got you know good positioning and. He's very good at cutting off penetration, and he's also good at protecting the rim. And then they have Pascal Siakam, who is a, is a guy that, you know, he can play a lot at the four positions, you know, match a guy like Marquis for his mobility, um, while also being able to switch onto guards like Beal and Wall. I mean, I mean, we've talked about it previously, but Pascal Siakam is one of the most underrated defenders that uh, you just never heard of in the NBA, and... You know, I, I think, look, the Raptors are going to have some struggles, but ultimately, I think if they sort out their front court uh, and sort out their defense, they should be able to score enough against a team like Washington, because if you look at Washington's bench, it is, it's dire. They're signing Ty Lawson from China. Yeah. Literally. Literally. <laughs> literally, 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 Ty Lawson from China. Uh, he had a great season for Shandong, but aside from that, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be the piece of swings the series, but...
1: Uh... Well, I, I'm definitely leaning pretty heavily toward the Raptors in this series as well. And like you mentioned, they have a lot more lineup flexibility. Mm-hmm. And what I'm interested to see is whether they have flexibility with their scheme and the way they defend Washington's pick and rolls. They, they've had a scheme this year that's been really effective for them, like said defending pick and roll. But there are certain matchups where it hasn't really worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them in particular was against the Thunder, mm-hmm. when you had an explosive point guard in Russell Westbrook and a really big, really good screen setter in Stephen Adams. Right, and they have the,
0: the JV version of this coming up. Where, with the, I mean <laughs> the the the
1: wall and the, the Tad pick and roll is pretty good facsimile. It's it's right. obviously a poor man's Westbrook and Adams pick and roll, but it it, mm-hmm. it functionally is kind of the same. And um, the Raptor guards in that Thunder game were trying to chase Westbrook over screens, which is what they've done most of the season to run guys off the three-point line and kind of be able to challenge pull-up threes from behind Mm -hmm. and try and go the ball handler into taking mid-range jump shots. But uh, the Wizards, unlike, say, the Rockets, are going to happily take those mid-range jump shots, I think, and they're pretty good at hitting them. And then basically what Westbrook did was he just got going downhill and suddenly – Valentunas was playing one-on-two against Westbrook and Adams, and you can't really put him in that position because he's just not mobile enough to be able to handle a one-on-two assignment the way a guy like, um, you know, Rudy Gobert is able to do. So right. um, I'm curious to see whether they start to go under those screens on wall and try and make him a jump shooter. Mm-hmm. And the the Beal-Gortat uh, pick-and-roll presents a, a different set of problems, I think, and that's one when maybe they... Are just going to have to have a quick hook with Valanciunas because once he drops back, uh, he's just typically not able to bounce back up and contest a shot, whether it's from three or whether it's from mid-range, and Beal's a guy who can really hurt them, I think, in that situation. So um, I'm interested to see how flexible they are with that scheme. And again, like you say, they have a, a really deep and versatile front court, so um, if... Valentinus needs to be scaled down to like 15 minutes a game. They have a guy in Jakubertel who's a lot more mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, they can slide Serge at to center, and um, I think that is where they really have the advantage and just being able to be flexible. And uh, you'd hope that it's you know not in terms of just their manpower, but in terms of how they decide to play defensively.
2: Yeah, I think that's the big thing is the decisions they make and how quickly Dwayne Casey and his staff adjust. Because like you mentioned, they do have that front court depth, and they have. They have not just depth, but guys with the ability, like Siakam and Pirtle, and even Serge to a certain extent, to defend Washington uh, right, very right. well. It's just how quickly they'll be able to react to Washington's offense and actually do that.
0: Right, and Wolfon. I mean, you wrote a great piece about Serge Ibaka, um, you know, a couple weeks ago about how you know he's sort of been this up and down player for the Raptors. Sometimes he gets really hot and he's incredible. and Sometimes he's not. Um, and you know, the Raptors are now at this point where. They paid Ibaka a lot of money, uh, and they need him to perform, especially in the playoffs. And, you know, what was the team's reaction to that? What was Serge Ibaka's reaction to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, what what he told me was that he absolutely has another gear that he can get to in the playoffs, and we've seen that from him in the past. So uh, that's definitely going to be a key for them because, um, again, like we've seen Valentina struggle in this matchup before, mm-hmm. and I do think Ibaka at center could be – a pretty good counter to what the Wizards like to run offensively and again if uh, the Wizards opt to roll with Gortat at center and take their chances then Ibaka's a guy you can stretch him out and that's going to be really important for the Raptors and they, they basically just need guys outside of Demar and Kyle to be able to hit shots because when defenses load up on those two guys um
0: and Washington they, will load up on those guys Washington plays will. very aggressive ball um yeah. you know denial and, and they're very aggressive and trapping point guards and putting them on the sidelines and stuff. And that's pretty much how they defeated the Raptors in 2015.
2: And I think that's why Fred Van Vliet is such a huge cog in this series is because uh, one thing I was going to touch on is the fact that, you know, 127 lineups played 100-plus minutes in the NBA this year. The Raptors' closing lineup, uh, which was their starters, except with Fred Van Vliet in for, in for OG and so it was right. basically Lowry, Van Vliet, DeRozan, Ibaka, JV. That lineup was third out of those 127 lineups. They had scored opponents by more than 24 points. And that, 100 that, 100 unit,
0: that unit usually played in the fourth quarter right. as well. Yeah, so they like were like, it's like mo- a
2: closing lineup. And, right. um, you know, you guys mentioned trapping Lowry and DeMar and how the Wizards had so much success with that three years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, why did Norman Powell's entry into the starting lineup last year help the Raptors so much? Because it gave DeMar and Kyle another outlet, another kind of off-the-bounce creator, mm-hmm. that when teams did trap those guys, they could swing it to him and he could actually make a play. Exactly. And Fred Van Vliet is now that guy, except an even better version of that, because he's a better shooter than Norman mm-hmm. ever was. So his, uh, A, his health, because he suffered a shoulder injury in game number 82, but B, just his presence on the court is such a huge cog in this series.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, moving on to the two versus seven matchup, uh, the Celtics versus the Bucks. Um, obviously Boston is con- going into this series a little bit more wounded than the um, you know would appear based on their record, not having Marcus Smart, not having Kyrie Irving most importantly. Um, you know, I'll, I wouldn't say necessarily teams wanted to get the Celtics because the Celtics still had the league's best defense and losing Kyrie actually kind of helps in that regard. Um, but at the same time, this is a team that might struggle to score. Luckily for the Celtics, they're going up against a team in the Bucks that have really struggled going down the stretch. I mean, in our last game of the season, um, the Bucks had a lot to play for uh, against the Sixers, and they were down seventy to twenty nine at one point. And then the Bucks had everyone healthy. Um, I mean, Giannis had some minor issues uh, health wise; he missed like one or two games, but he was healthy for that game. And and uh, you know, Justin Anderson was lighting up. Giannis so that that's a concern but um you know the the Celtics obviously have the most concern Wolfhunt we'll how are the Celtics going to generate offense in this series I think a lot of
1: it's going to fall on Jason Tatum to be honest um and maybe uh an undue amount I don't know if he's going to be ready to handle that kind of offensive load and again like it'll be interesting to see what the Bucks do because they're really kind of aggressive blitzing trapping defense uh we saw in the playoffs last year for at least three games uh, had a really profound effect on the Toronto Raptors Mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, facing an inexperienced Boston team. um, A lot of these guys who haven't been relied upon to have any kind of significant role in the playoffs before um, maybe that gets them out of their comfort zone and rattles them a bit. And I, I mean, the Celtics still have, I think, just like a balanced enough offense that they should be able to score just enough to win this series. Um, and and that's less about the faith I have in the Celtics than the lack of faith I have in the Bucks. Mm-hmm. But um, between Tatum and Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier, who's been really, really good down the stretch, and just the fact that they got have a guy in Al Horford who is able to kind of orchestrate the offense from the high post, from the elbows. Right. I I think they'll be able to do enough, and for the Bucks, it's, it's like I just don't think they know what they're doing. Right? There's a huge coaching advantage for the Celtics in this game, massive. Yeah. And to me, like they're what they need to do is commit to playing Giannis up center. I've said this before, but like the, th- their centers are not good, and they give those guys just way too many minutes. And especially, like I understand wanting to have. John Henson out there say if like the Celtics are rolling with Aaron Baines I don't think you want Giannis banging with Aaron Baines in the post but if if Horford's playing center or if like the Celtics really downsize and play Marcus Morris at center say then I, I see no reason why you wouldn't try and run Giannis at the five and just surround him with shooters because that is you know th- like that's how you're going to generate offense against a really really good Celtics defense so right
2: yeah the series is weird because even without Kyrie and obviously Gordon Hayward, everything about the numbers, everything about the matcher still points to Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, the coaching difference, like you guys mentioned, is insane. It's, no disrespect to Joe insane. Prunty. He's probably an upgrade over Jason Kidd because Jason Kidd was that bad. And I they don't even know, man. They haven't been as aggressive with their traps Has, since... has Joe
0: Prunty manufactured a timeout by spilling Coke <laughs> on the floor?
2: Yeah. Not as wily that Joe Prunty. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so everything still points to Boston. They have home court. They've got the coaching advantage. They're deeper. Um, they probably were better without Kyrie than the Bucs were all year, even when they were healthy. Like, the Bucks have a negative point differential. They're by far the worst of the 16 playoff teams in terms of their actual performance. They flat out have not been a good team. Mm-hmm. But I still just look at this series, and I do like Al Horford, and I like the Celtics depth, and their young guys, but it's still so hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that um, – a series between this Celtics team and a Bucs team that has Giannis, that has Middleton, who had a great year that doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah. Um, Eric Bledsoe, who you know maybe didn't have the on-court impact the Bucs hoped for when they traded for him, but is still a player that you have to game plan for yeah, in terms of stopping. Sure. And that's a big thing in the playoffs. If you have to game plan in terms of matchups of how to stop a guy, that's huge. That's an advantage. I don't know if the Celtics have a guy, even Horford, for as great as he is. Uh, I don't think the Bucs necessarily have to create a game plan to stop Al Horford. I don't think anyone would argue that.
0: The Bucks uh, probably have the top three players in the series. Right.
2: And that's why, as, as much as I think Boston is the better team, and they proved it over 82 games, healthy or not, I just can't see Boston overcoming the, the talent disadvantage mm-hmm. that they're at because of their injuries. And the other thing, too, is I've talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, the Celtics have their own questions in terms of the postseason yeah. in the Brad Stevens era. And I know this roster is completely different, but... You know, they've gone into playoffs before as this kind of overachieving high seed that is supposed to be reliant on the sum of their parts instead of individuals, and it hasn't really worked in the postseason. Again, last year, they were a rondo injury away from not getting out of the first round as a one seed. Right. So, I'd probably still lean Milwaukee.
0: Yeah, I think in this series, for me, like, um, it's going to come down to, like, I need to see Giannis, like, have his big moment. Um, Giannis has lost in the first round twice now, which is not his fault. I mean, he was the underdog both times. Uh, even last year against the Raptors, I mean, he was just phenomenal in that series. Like he was unstoppable, dunking whenever he wanted to. Um, you know, came up huge in the clutch. Great defense. I mean, just everything you would expect from Giannis, right? And I, I just need to see that type of all sort of consuming uh, athleticism and um, dominance translate to results in the playoffs because there isn't really an excuse for the Bucks to lose this series, despite the fact that the Celtics have such a well co- like coach roster and. So much, like, residual talent, even beyond a guy like... Uh, even beyond losing Hayward and, and losing Kyrie, and even losing Smart, who's very important for the Celtics. Um, you know, Giannis needs to have that type of impact and win this series. Because, look, he's far and away the best player in this series. The Celtics don't quite have rim protectors, so that, like, Giannis can really get to the basket and do his damage there. You know, as much as the, the Celtics do have a lot of nice wing defenders, um, you know, you shouldn't be able to be... If you're a superstar in the way that we think Giannis is, and I think we're all convinced that Giannis is a superstar, he needs to deliver with a huge performance. So that's pretty much what I'm looking for from that series. Um, Moving on to Sixers versus the Heat, the 3-6 matchup. Um, The season series in that one, 2-2. The funny thing about the Heat is that they were the second last team to beat the Sixers because the Sixers ended the season with that ridiculous 16-game win streak. Um, So... You know, as much as the Sixers are playing phenomenal basketball right now, um, it might not be as much of a slam dunk um, for them in their first go-around in the playoffs. Um, first off, Wolfon, there is no Embiid for Game One. He suffered that orbital fracture. He's still wearing a mask and tweeting and stuff, but he's not healthy enough to play for Game One. Um, if the Heat steal Game One off the Sixers on the Sixers' home floor with that young team. Um, How much is that going to be an advantage, both psychologically uh, and also just, you know, in the series uh, for Miami? I can't really speak to psychologically. I I
1: sort of feel like the Sixers have been playing with this just consciousless swagger where I don't really worry about them getting rattled just because of the way they've played down the stretch. And they have veterans who have been there before, like a guy like J.J. Redick, a guy like Amir Johnson. They have... um, a lot of steadying forces on the on that team and I don't really worry about Ben Simmons getting rattled. That dude's problem is not confidence. Um if he yeah. has if he has a problem at all. Like he It's a jump shot, but yeah, yeah, he he will be fine and I definitely think Miami could steal a game uh when Embiid's not in there. But uh if Embiid is getting back for game two or even game three, I still have a lot of faith that the Sixers are gonna be able to pull that out because I just don't Okay, for one thing, Miami has a lot of guys they can throw at Simmons, which I think is uh, definitely like, you know, a, a kind of check mark on their ledger. Like, they have James Johnson, Justice Winslow, Josh Richardson, a lot of big, long physical wings who can make like life difficult for Ben Simmons. Um, but I, I don't know what they're doing when Embiid is out there because they have Whiteside, who is okay like he's the only guy they have really with the size to match up with Embiid but uh I I just feel like if like I don't have a lot of faith in his ability to a like score on Embiid Mm -hmm. um and we've seen all season long kind of how Miami's offense goes into the tank a little bit when way tight on the floor and I don't think the the impact he's making at the defensive end is enough to counteract that Miami's best lineups all season have been with Kelly Olenek at center where they can really spread you out and move the ball and um, get some like three point looks. And they, they can't do that. If Embiid's on the floor, like they can't play Olynyk at center when Embiid is out there and they have Bam Adebayo who might be a good option there. But again, he just, I think is He's a little bit undersized
0: too small for Embiid.
1: So this, this is going to be a problem for any team that, that plays the Sixers mm-hmm. uh, when Embiid is healthy. Like there are just so few teams that can match up with him. Right. And so, so I don't know. That, that's obviously going to be a big swing factor. Like, if, if Embiid isn't coming back for this series, I feel pretty good about Miami's chances. But if they, even if they steal a game on the road, one of those first two games, if Embiid's back for game three, like, I don't think the Sixers are going to have too much trouble closing it out.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, Will mentioned that it's not necessarily a slam dunk, maybe. Mm-hmm. For the Sixers, I think that's only possible if Embiid's out basically the entire series. Because I think, I think with Embiid this team's unguardable from Miami's perspective. Uh, without Embiid, yeah, sure, they have a puncher's chance. But even without Embiid, I still think the the Sixers would be the better team, top to bottom. I think Ben Simmons would still be the best player in this series. Um, and, and in terms of the Olenek-Whiteside thing, yeah, Whiteside, I think, had taken a step forward last year as a more complete basketball player that whose numbers actually translate to an on-court impact. I think this year he regressed again. And I think you mm-hmm. can make the argument – It's one thing to look at the numbers and say the Heat were better with Olenek on the floor. I think you can make the argument, all things considered, Kelly Olenek was a better basketball player than Hassan Whiteside this year.
0: Right, but I mean, the the only thing I would say about Whiteside is, I I agree with you in terms of his box score numbers don't fully translate. He's more of a fantasy basketball player. Um, But, like, he had, in in the individual defensive matchup uh, against Embiid, I don't know if it's because the two of them obviously engaged in trash talk or whatever, but he actually did a decent job stopping Embiid this season. I mean... You know, I don't know how much of that changes in the playoffs when Embiid's more focused and he's less worried about you know uh, what he's going to say. while well, Rihanna and also just <laughs> tweeting at uh, Hassan Whiteside after the game. Although he might he might he's going to do that still, I think, yeah. right? But I mean, I, I just mean like, yeah, you know, Whiteside at least physically has the sort of length and the and the strength to to go against a guy like Embiid. Is just um, you know. Of course, Embiid is still favorite in that series, but I mean, look, I'll give White some credit in that one. He really did do a good job against them in the regular season. I'm just more worried about Miami's ability to score in that series. Like, I, yeah. I don't. Sixers have great know how, defense,
1: really, really good, yeah. and I, I don't see a lot of advantages that Miami has apart from just their system and the coaching, um, things that they could leverage into you know mismatches or advantage basketball. Because like at every position, the Sixers are fast and they're big. And they're really skilled defenders, and and I don't know that Miami is going to be able to generate enough points. Like I I think they can also defend the Sixers pretty well, right? You know, as well as anybody, I think. But Mm -hmm. um, I don't think they're going to be able to score enough to win that series.
2: Yeah, the other thing too is like even the whole Sixers are a young team, and we got to see what they do under the bright lights. There's a lot of veterans on this team that, like JJ Reddick's been there, done that. Um,
0: It's it's not like JJ (laughs) Reddick's been super impressive in the playoffs.
2: Not coming from their best uh, playoff environment either. Yeah, his, that is true. In his past. Uh, yeah, like J.J. Reddick's there. Um, even, you know, some of their, their For, late first season. First
0: round exit Amir Johnson, yep. <laughs> yep,
2: first round exit <laughs> Amir Johnson. Their late season additions, obviously they're not stars by any stretch, but Ursan Aliasova and Marco Bellinelli, they're not mm-hmm. fresh, you know, young pops. These guys have been around. They've played in some big games. They also, uh, those late season moves, low-key made the Sixers, a pretty deep squad to the point where they're right. not as top-heavy as they used to be. Yeah, um, And then, again, I mentioned this last week, it's just Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, if he's healthy, are so good. They're another level of young yeah. players where it's not, like, I don't know, are you really worried that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are going to suddenly
0: be... Well, the only thing was, okay, I'm not worried about Embiid beyond the health. If he's healthy, he's going to be phenomenal. With Simmons, it's the free throw shooting the and the overall jump shooting. Right, the turnovers, he's really, honestly, he's cut that down a lot, which has been uh, one of the big reasons why the Sixers have been so successful the second half. How is he going to hold up mentally when people start intentionally fouling him and he starts missing like three, four free throws, right? He's not a good free throw shooter. And also, like, playoff defenses are going to scheme specifically for the fact that he cannot shoot. Yeah,
2: they'll give him 10 feet of space if he wants
1: it.
0: Right. Okay, but regular season defenses scheme for that, too. Right, it's not. Yeah, it's a different one. It's Eric Spolstra coming at you with his best scheme specifically for you.
1: I agree. Like, there is definitely a level of advanced scouting um, that that changes things a little bit in the playoffs. But it's not like defenses are crowding him during the regular season. Like That's true. the book is out and everybody knows how to play him, and it hasn't really deterred him that much. Like he's still able to get to the rim pretty much whenever he wants to. That's true. So I don't know. I I don't worry about it too much unless, as we said, like unless Embiid's not coming back. At all, but it seems like he's going to, and
0: so I feel like the Sixers are going to take this probably in, like, six games. Okay. Moving on to the last Eastern Conference matchup before we take a break, Um, the Cavaliers versus the Pacers. The season series. The Pacers won a season series 3-1, although those three wins all came before uh, the Cavaliers changed up the roster. It's very difficult to talk about the Cavaliers in terms of the overall numbers because they really have been two different teams. Um... Wolfon, I'll start with you, because you wrote a piece um, that said that the Pacers have what it takes to put a dent in LeBron's uh, first-round dominance. LeBron has never lost in the first round, famously. Meanwhile, the Pacers have never beaten LeBron, so I'm curious, um, why do you think that?
1: All right, well, to be clear, I don't think that the Pacers are going to
0: beat the Cavs. Uh, I just think... You don't think this year's a a charm for Lance Stevenson?
1: (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I don't know. Like he, he might have to bite LeBron's ear clean off this time around. He, he will do that. Yeah, I believe it. Um no, I don't think they're going to win, but I I just feel like they have a chance to make it a series and that would be a dramatic change from the past few years because LeBron has not lost a first-round game since 2012. He's won 21 straight first-round games and I don't see that I I don't see him sweeping through the first round this time because I think the Pacers are a good team and they're a good team that has a player in Victor Oladipo who is kind of uniquely equipped to take advantage of their defensive weaknesses and um, Oladipo has just like absolutely obliterated big guys on switches this year Mm -hmm. and that that's been like a real problem for Cleveland they their bigs are not good switch guys they're slow-footed and when they get dragged into the perimeter they're very vulnerable and that's The biggest reason why I think, like, first of all, their defense has just been bad in pretty much every area all year. Um, But I think the Pacers are going to be able to score, okay, as long as like they don't get super rattled. That's another young, inexperienced team that I feel like could just collapse come playoff time. But if if they keep playing the way that they have during the regular season, like they're going to be able to score, Mm -hmm. and I think they're going to be able to put a lot of pressure on that Cavs defense, and. I don't know. I I just feel like the Cavs are a little bit different this year and I don't know I do think they're going to improve come playoff time. I do think LeBron's going to ratchet it up and a notch star defense. Or two. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know what level they can actually get to, you know? And I and I, I again, like I still think that they're going to win because mm-hmm. for one thing the Pacers just don't have anybody really who can guard LeBron. Um right. and he is going to light them up. So That's why I don't really have a ton of faith in uh, the Pacers winning the series. But I do have faith in them being able to make it competitive. And that might be a competitive five-game loss. Uh, They might be able to take it to six. I just don't see it being as much of a cakewalk as the first round has been for LeBron and company in years past.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I'd be surprised if the Cavs sweep the series. I think Indiana's proven to be at least good enough to take a game off this team. And I think Oladipo's been good enough to do that. Uh, It would have helped if they had found a way to steal the four seed, which they weren't that far off from. But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think one thing I'm going to be watching is the play of Miles Turner. Because to me, he had a disappointing year. He hasn't really progressed the way I think a lot of people thought he would after his first couple of years. He seemed like he was kind of the perfect mold of the modern big man. And I don't think he's lived up to the billing. Um, But I think he can make a difference in a series like this. Yeah, he's very talented. Um, He's very talented and he can, you know... He's not at all a tr- like old school traditional big man, but he's got some skills that mm-hmm. he could take advantage of certain matchups against Cavs bigs. And if he plays a certain way, he might force the Cavs to have to keep some of their big guys on the floor that maybe aren't defensively can't hang with the Pacers. Right. Um, for me, a big part of it is whether or not uh, the Cavs shooters are making their shots because the Pacers are going to be able to score. They're an underrated offensive team to begin with, and the Cavs. They're not going to defend, even if LeBron ratchets up the defense, which he will. Yeah. Um. Just personnel-wise, the Cavs cannot defend. Okay. LeBron yeah, is not. Sure. He can't be a one-man defense. He can't. Yeah. As good as he is. Yeah. So the Pacers should be able to score at least moderately. And you know, if you surround LeBron with shooters and they're having a good game or a good series, then that's where you know, okay. The Pacers just don't have the firepower to keep up. Mm-hmm. But if those shooters, you know, have a couple of bad games, if Jr. has one of his like one for eleven nights. Um, then maybe the Pacers have a chance just because they're going to be scoring enough to keep up.
0: Okay, that's fair. And I just ultimately think that look, the Cavaliers—they know they're a veteran team. They know the value of rest, and they have used it really smartly over the last couple of playoff runs where they've gone to the finals. And um, Cash, I mean, you've seen them in the finals. Like, they're—they're they're very confident. They're a very confident bunch. They've—they've—they know they have. I mean, they've walked into the Oracle Game Seven and won that. So like. You know, the Cavs, like, they know what it takes, and they know how important, like, rest early in the series is going to work for them. I mean, whether it comes out that they face Toronto or Washington in the second round, that's not going to be easy series for them, and that's going to put even more of a strain on them defensively uh, than Indiana will. So I just think that I have confidence in that they can um, slow down the—they will just take a more professional approach, basically. Like, pretty much the whole season, the Cavaliers, have not taken a quite professional approach in terms of how they want to actually approach games. Um, I think, you know, there is a next gear for the Cavaliers to hit. We've seen it happen, you know, a couple times. And it's not necessarily defensively. Although, I would say that Tyron Lue has been very creative in trapping guards and things like that. And that's always been my biggest weakness or biggest worry with Indiana. Um, it's just that, like, they have one guy that's going to create all their offense in Oladipo. The rest of the Pacers' offense is mostly just playing up-tempo and getting a couple scrap buckets. And they're very good at that. but. The guy that the guy that generates offense for them in half court offense is Oladipo, and you know the 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 Celtics or sorry the Celtics the the Cavaliers are going to trap them, and so at that point, you know what 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 happens? Who's the guy? Who's the next guy to make the next play? Um, is Miles Turner going to hit enough of those jumpers out of those traps to, um, you know, force the Cavaliers to back off? Is Thaddeus Young going to do Thaddeus Young things and get to a left hook and, and, and try to drop that shot in? Or is someone like Lance Stevenson going to step up? I, I don't know. That's that's my concern with the with the Pacers, is that they, they really only have one guy. They do,
1: but I honestly, I, I like their supporting cast. And like the biggest problem with it is that there isn't like a clear-cut secondary scorer, but... They have a lot of guys who I have confidence doing very specific things very well. Okay, And you have a guy like Darren Carlson who can handle the ball, who can pass, and who has absolutely shot the lights out this year. Best Bo- three-point
2: shooter in the league by percentage.
1: Yeah, he, he's shot unbelievably well. Um, Boyan Bogdanovich has shot the lights out, and he, he's just more of a spot-up shooter. But um, just to have him in the corner um, and available to hit open shots if the Cavs are going to load up, on Oladipo is a real boon, and again, like Cash mentioned, Miles Turner, absolutely they're going to need to, like, he's going to need to hit shots, yeah, um, straight up, because like the pick and pop is going to be a big weapon, I think, for the Pacers, and um, as well at the other end, like they're going to need him to just be able to meet LeBron at the rim, and they've been a really bad rim protecting team this year, so uh. he's going to be probably like the second most vital person for the Pacers in that series, and again, yeah, like what what. Indiana's role players are actually able to do in the postseason setting is going to determine how much of a dent they can put in I mean, LeBron's you're armor. To me about, but you know, Darren Collison and and Boyan. I'm just saying, like I'm like <laughs> this is the Cavs. I'm saying I like I like their pieces and I okay. like I like the way they've played together. And I think again, like if they just play the way that they've played during the regular season, then they definitely have a chance to make this a series. That's all I'm saying. Like I don't, okay. again, I don't think they're going to win. And I wouldn't be shocked if they got swept, but um, just looking at this matchup on paper, like I, I like the pieces they have in place to make it competitive.
2: I am interested to see uh, how often, if at all, the Cavs go with Mance at center minutes because I think that is their path to defensive respectability. Well, you don't Maybe think it's even defen- Thompson. What's that?
0: <laughs> well, there's a segue. <laughs> Justin Thompson might there's, not make it to the playoffs. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: we actually have a second bonus podcast for, coming for you this week, all about the Tristan and Kardashian. Uh, no, that's not true. no. Uh, But yeah, if the Cavs go with Nance at center, um, and maybe now we're kind of talking down the line, not just in this series, but I think that's their path to defensive respectability. Okay. I'm
0: going to call that one a sweep. All right. (laughs) Uh, We're going to take a quick break right here. Um, We're going to come back on the other end, and we're going to do the series previews for the Western Conference. Back to the second half of Pound the Rock. Um, before we talk about the Western Conference playoff teams, I want to remind everybody that um, the podcast is now up on iTunes, it's up on Stitcher, it's up on SoundCloud, Spotify, it's it's coming, Google Play, it's coming. Um, but um, if you have enjoyed this podcast, and uh, you know, we thank you for listening for sure. Please try to support the podcast because we are really still trying to get it off the ground. And the way you can do so is by rating and reviewing and subscribing to the podcast, hitting five stars, saying nice things like, um, you know, someone learned what a 3D player. Someone deleted the Low Post podcast, which do not do that. The Low Post (laughs) podcast is phenomenal. Please listen to that podcast after you listen to this one. Um, But, you know, if you go on iTunes especially to hit the five stars to uh, write reviews, that would help us tremendously. So... Having said that, let's go to the Western Conference. First um, round. Uh, the first series is uh, the Rockets versus the Timberwolves. One versus eight. This was the only playoff matchup in which um, one team swept the other. Uh, and the Rockets this season. 4-0 against the Timberwolves. And not even close games. The margins were 16 points, 18 points, 18 points, and 9 points. That's uh, That's not good. It's not good, but the Timberwolves did win their last game, a very thrilling affair with the Denver Nuggets. Um, and so, you know, they have some confidence on their side, but it's nothing compared to their confidence of being the first overall seed of the Houston Rockets. Cash, let me start with you. Do you think this is going to be a sweep? Uh, I'll,
2: I'll give them one game. I'll okay. give Minnesota one game. And uh, I think on paper, uh, if you came into the season and said this would be a playoff match, I mean, you know, Houston would be the favorite, but I think you'd think it was going to be tight. Uh, it would be hotly contested, and uh, newsflash, it's probably not going to be. Okay. I just think, um, you know, we talk about teams like Boston, you know, the, the product of the sum of their parts, and then a team like Minnesota, to me, is the exact opposite. They are collectively nowhere as good as they should be when you think about the top-tier talent that they actually do have.
0: The Bucks of the West.
2: Right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I just think uh, between their inability to defend, mm-hmm. regardless of personnel, I think the Rockets can pick them apart, just absolutely pick them apart. And then I also think, you know, Tom Thibodeau, for as much love as he got over the years, there are certain things where, you know, Mike D'Antoni, flat out, I believe, is going to out-coach him. And I think Tom Thibodeau stands in his own way, you know, a perfect example. If you look at the whole Tyus Jones situation, their best lineups this year have actually been with, basically, their starters, except with Tyus Jones in for Jeff Teague. And that's not to disrespect Jeff Teague. That's just, you know, the facts. Tyus Jones had a really good year. Mm-hmm. He doesn't score a lot, but he had a very solid year, Solid two-way guard. Yep. And if you look at down the stretch, he didn't play as well, but he also, his minutes went down. They brought in Derrick Rose and started giving Derrick Rose fourth quarter minutes. Like anyone, <laughs> I'm serious, like anyone who <laughs> believes Derrick Rose yeah. is a better NBA player in 2018 than Tyus Jones should have their basketball watching privileges revoked, let alone be able to don't coach. Provoke,
0: don't <laughs> provoke Derek Rosehive, <laughs> Let man. alone
2: let alone uh, be able to coach a playoff team. Like Tibbs, what are you doing? I I just I think Tibbs is going to get it in his own way. I think they have nowhere near the defensive ability to hang with the Rockets. And I just think they're going to get eviscerated. Okay. Uh, the Rockets are too good. They you know they every role player outside of uh, CP3 and Harden just does what they're supposed to do at such an elite level that yeah. I, I just don't give the T-wolves. Jimmy Butler's good, but he's not that good. He's not erasing the deficit between these
0: teams. Okay, well, speaking of Jimmy Butler, the Butler versus Harden matchup is going to be very interesting. It's going to decide a lot of things, uh, and we'll find – I mean, do you think Butler has what it takes to guard a guy like Harden, um, or does he need help from the center, <laughs> in which case Car anthony Towns, a.k.a. Cantor-Anthony Towns, might struggle. <laughs> uh of course
1: he needs help like this is not a one-on-one league anymore and Uh butler is as good an option as you could ask for uh to guard james harden but the rockets are just gonna run pick and rolls and they're gonna force switches until they get the matchup they want and then they're gonna let their guards go to work against mismatches and a lot of that's gonna fall on canter anthony towns um and and he's Look, he's capable of being a good defender. He has the tools to do it, and he's done it for parts of this season. But the like th- this Rockets team is ruthless, man.
0: And yeah, they really <laughs> are. They're really mean. That's yeah. just a team that really They're enjoys. Super disrespectful. Yeah. And
1: the biggest thing to me is just the math for the Wolves in this series is a disaster. Like they they are not a good three-point shooting team. They're not a very yeah. willing three-point shooting team. Yep. And they're not they good can, at defense. They're it's, not a good it's defensive an team. part of
0: beating the Rockets. Yeah,
1: and, and they just they have a lot of bigs who are liable to get picked on. Towns is one of them. Mm-hmm. Bielitsa is one of them. Um, Taj offensive. Gibson is solid, but again, like you drag him out to the perimeter, and uh, I don't know how much of an impact he's going to be able to make. And at the end of the day, the Rockets are going to be getting up forty-five-three a game, and the Wolves are going to be getting up like twenty-two. And, and the and, Wolves'
0: bench is putrid. Like, yeah. beyond Gorgie Jang doing, like... Are we going to see trumpers. the
1: Wolves bench? Are like, Are, yeah, play are like the Wolves bench players even going to
0: come and sit on the bench in it's, this series? Oh, bro, Derrick Rose is playing, like, 30 minutes. I was going to say, their
2: starters will average 42 minutes, and the only guy who will... They'll have one reserve, and it'll be Derrick Rose. Well,
1: yeah, that would be disappointing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would be so bad. If Derrick so Rose Jesus, gets any uh, run in this was, series, but... Man, man. Oh, um, Look, I would give the Wolves a game as well, uh, okay. because I do believe in Butler and Towns' ability. But I, I again, would not be surprised if they got swept. And they, in order to tilt the math back in their favor, they're just going to have to shoot really well for mid-range. One thing is, the Rockets switch everything, and the Timberwolves are actually like pretty capable of taking advantage of that, because they have really good post players. Mm. Towns is a really good post player, Butler's a really good post player, and they can actually punish the Rockets for switching. But if they're just right. trading twos for threes, then does it really matter? And so, I don't know. I think, um, like, what Towns is able to do is obviously going to dictate, I think, everything. And I'm really excited to see what he does in the playoffs. Because even if they're totally overmatched, like, I remember in 2015 when AD played in the playoffs for the first time. And the Pelicans got swept by the Warriors. But Davis was incredible. Yeah, he was insane. And pretty much every single one of those games was reasonably competitive just because of what he was able to do and right. and I'm excited to see if Towns can kind of make that sort of a superstar entrance onto mm-hmm. the postseason stage and just really like take to the playoffs with gusto because he should like he's that talented he's good enough to do it and um I think it'll say a lot about him you know like whether he shrinks from the moment or whether he rises to the occasion and I expect the latter to be honest so
0: yeah, I mean, look. This is a. I think the most fascinating thing is this is a battle of the coaches in terms of the Tom Thibodeau being the inventor of modern defense and Mike D'Antoni being the inventor of modern offense in the NBA. And what we've seen in the NBA is offense wins over defense a lot, especially nowadays. So, uh, I think this series is going to follow suit. Next one, uh, we're going to move on to the Warriors versus the Spurs. There's gonna be well. First off, the Warriors won the season series 3-1. Um, both teams incredibly banged up, so it's hard to read too much into the numbers here. Warriors obviously reigning champions. They swept the Spurs last season. Although the Spurs uh, fans will scream and tell you that uh, Zaza Patrulia did a hit job on uh, you know Kawhi, and you know he may, maybe he did. Who knows? But um, yeah, that was a sweep. So. This is pretty much the same Spurs team that was left over from that sweep, and while the Warriors don't have Steph Curry for the first round, they still have their three other All-Stars. Um, and so, uh, Cash, are you worried about the way the Warriors finish the season, 7-10? and 10?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely in the big picture I'm worried about the way they finish okay. the season, but in terms of um, just looking at this series, not really. Okay. Because I think I think the Warriors are vulnerable without Steph, or at least they're not unbeatable.
0: Yeah. As we discussed we saw before. saw them lose by like 40. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, their last 19 games without Curry this year, they were 7-12. and 12. They're a bad team, um, despite Kawhi. all their other talent. But I just don't think this, I don't think what's left of the Spurs without Kawhi mm-hmm. is the team to beat them when they're vulnerable. And I think that's, um, in a way, that's a little disappointing because it would have been really fascinating to see, you know, whether it's a team like Minnesota with a little more star power or OKC, whoever it is, um, get the, the Warriors without Steph. But I just don't think the Spurs have enough to beat them.
1: Um,
2: one thing I'm really excited to watch though, is actually Deontay Murray. This guy's a okay. beast and not enough people realize right. it because he doesn't put up the numbers. He's young. It's that typical San Antonio thing where it's just kind of plug a guy in and he does his job. But Deontay Murray, especially defensively, this guy could be a beast. And another really disappointing thing is that we're not getting to see what a Spurs defense could look like built around Kawhi and, and Murray. Cause I think that could give a team like the Warriors, even with Curry fits. And so, to me, this year is just kind of sad because it's a lot of what-ifs.
0: Well, that's, that's the whole Spurs season. Um, I think, look, the Spurs, I think we kind of have an idea, a good idea of what they're going to do to the Warriors um, in this matchup. They're going to try to be incredibly physical uh, and we'll find. I mean, a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge, um, I know you rate him very highly and rightfully so, he's had a really good year. Can Lamarcus make a difference against his Warriors team? Because the Warriors don't have bigs really that that are reasonably effective. I mean, who knows what Draymond will, uh, you know, improve in the in the playoffs? He might be more intense, and you know that can go one of two ways really. But Lamarcus needs to have a big series for the Spurs. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He's um, you know, gonna
1: be their Everything. most yeah their most reliable source of offense, obviously. Um, I, I think the Warriors really lucked out with this matchup, and I was very ready to pick against them in the wrong matchup, to be honest, because wow. they, they've looked pretty shambolic without Steph Curry, and I don't care how much you're coasting. Like, if you get 40-pieced, then you got problems, and I, I think they they just haven't really figured out how to make that offense function without Curry. They just don't have enough shooting, and they're not generating... like. A guy like Draymond Green, like, has really thrived in part because of the opportunities that are opened up when Curry's on the floor. The four-on-threes that he's able to make plays out of. Um, And if you look at the way that those guys have shot the ball with Curry on the floor compared to with Curry off the floor, it is a staggering, staggering difference. Like, their offense is just nowhere near the same. Mm -hmm. And, like, again, so, like, three weeks ago when we we found out, basically, that Curry was not going to play in the first round, we data power rankings of the teams that would be most dangerous uh, against the Warriors in the first round. Right. And we ranked the Spurs twice once like with Kawhi and once without Kawhi and the team without Kawhi, we ranked last like of all the teams that ended up actually making the playoffs. I think they are vulnerable, but the Spurs just don't have enough offense to make it matter. And like they're so reliant on those Aldridge post-ups and Which is not even that effective of a play. Like it's not. He's yeah, like one, really of best, he's one of the best. He's one of the best post up players in the league, and he's still generating less than a point per possession right. on post up. Yeah. So, it's it's not really where you want to be when that's what you're relying on. And they like they do have other ways of scoring. Like they are still a really good cutting team um their off ball movement is still really strong and they still have shooters you know like danny green still knock it down patty mills a really good shooter mm. um kyle anderson weirdly seems to give durant fits sometimes yeah, yeah and um they have a lot of role players who could make a difference in a series like this i just don't think that they're gonna be able to scratch out enough points uh to even make it a six game series which is unfortunate because i yeah, I mean, I thought it was going to be really interesting to see what the Warriors could do against uh, an opponent that was more equipped to give them problems.
0: Yeah, we've seen this one before. Uh, the Warriors are going to take that one, despite the fact they're not playing great, and despite you know Greg Popovich being a great coach. Next one. Uh, the three versus six, the Blazers versus the Pelicans. Um, season series in this one, split 2-2. Uh, the Blazers stumbled a little bit to end the season, um, they finished the the, the year uh, five and seven after that thirteen game win streak that vaulted them to pretty much the third uh, spot in the West. Cash, are you worried about the way the Blazers finish the year?
2: For me, it's not as much about worried about the way the Blazers finish the year as it is. I I just don't think you should bury the Pelicans. I think. Right. Um, the way they finished the season and just the way they played once they got over that initial shock of Boogie going down mm-hmm. um, was pretty tremendous. They have and been. Alvin Gentry did a great job. Anthony Davis, we all obviously know the guy's um, probably going to finish top three in both MVP and all, uh, Defensive Player of the Year. He, he was so. that and first team All-NBA. Yes, he was that good. Yeah. Um, but I'm really interested to see uh, a couple of things. And one of them is Drew Holiday because Drew Holiday, you talk about underrated. Woo. The year this guy had to keep them afloat um, as kind of a second option after AD once Boogie went down. And one thing that people don't realize, I think, is how good this guy is defensively. In terms of on-ball defense at the point guard position, there are not many guys, if any better, than Drew Holiday. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with a little more eyeballs on it, I just feel like his on-ball defense might go mainstream after this series because matched up against Dame and CJ. And the other thing, too, is Rondo uh Rajon Rondo is not an impact player in the NBA anymore but oh, we no. kind of saw it last year I, in the I playoffs
0: you provoked Rose Hive and Rondo <laughs> Listen, Hive well is the Rose, there Rondo yes, Hive does Rondo I, Hive I was still say I, I yes, provoked the Rose Hive I
2: provoked the Rose Hive because I'm just not convinced Derek Rhodes can ever play a valuable minute in the NBA ever again wow, wow. I'm going the other way on Rajon Rondo I'm saying that as bad as he looks 99.9% of the time oh, if wow. they, remember the playoffs last year like yeah, There's that's true. Even, that is true. Playoff Rondo.
0: That's yeah. what I was going to say. Playoff it's Rondo. Television. Exactly.
2: Remember the old days? It was national TV Rondo. Yeah, and now double. he's at the point where he's probably not good enough to even be good like six times a year on national TV. But in one playoff series, playoff Rondo might still exist. And, you know, I don't know if anyone watched that Pelicans Warriors game uh, this past weekend on Saturday. Down the stretch, playoff Rondo came out a little bit, especially on the defensive end. Right. And who was it that got switched on to Kevin Durant and got a key steal on KD <laughs> yeah. that. You know, propelled them to that win. It was Rajon Rondo. Yeah. If Rajon Rondo is playoff Rondo defensively mm-hmm. for four to seven games, yeah. and Drew Holiday is who he usually is defensively.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, That's... those guys could. I don't know if you're going to shut down Damon CJ, but those guys match up with Damon CJ on one end as good as you can ask them to. Mm-hmm. And if you limit those guys and brow feasts um, yeah. in his matchup, which he should. To me, the Pelicans might not just be able to kind of survive. Five six teams they they could be able to win this series. There's some other factors too, like yeah. Nico Meritage had a great. Um, That's run a good pickup for them. Even though like the they had to give up a first, yeah,
0: but they got rid of Omar Ashik's contract yeah. and they added like, some they more shooting, him. which they
2: yeah. needed a little more playmaking from yeah. a non AD Drew position. Uh, a guy like Etwan Moore. Great shooter can sure. maybe swing the series. Like Solomon the Pelican- Hills healthy again,
0: <laughs> buddy. Look at this team, man. The,
2: uh, that that one guy that snuck onto the court and took shots in uh, warm ups. That was Jamir Nelson. He might he might be ready to give him some minutes. But no, really, I just think a lot of people talk about this series as like the Pelicans being this scrappy team that survived the bookie injury. I uh-huh. think they might actually be able to win this series.
0: Yeah, I think people are sleeping on the Pelicans just a little bit. We know that obviously they can defend the rim because Anthony Davis has been is just a phenomenal defender. Um, but also, the Pelicans, after the All-Star break, allowed the third lowest opponent three-point percentage. So if they can defend the three and defend the rim, that's tough. And, you know, I mean, it's obviously tough to go into Portland and win a game over there uh, with their stars and how confident they feel at home. But, you know, it's it's not like Portland's just sort of you know a team that will just blow you away. I think this is going to be one of the closest series. Um, Wolfram, what are your thoughts on this series? And are the Pelicans being underrated a little bit? I think... These teams are like pretty evenly matched, to be honest. Um, I don't,
1: I don't know if the Pelicans are being underrated. I don't know what like the general consensus is as far as what people think is going to happen in this series. But like, probably what I'm most interested to see is, um, I think Drew is going to be really important because the Blazers are a big drop back team, um, and they've done a really good. Like we were talking about the Raptors pick and roll scheme earlier. Like the, the mm-hmm. Blazers pick and roll scheme is pretty similar right. in that they have. Um, these really big bigs um, yeah. who are not especially effective defending in space, but when they drop back and play close to the rim, they're really, really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, Except at, against LeBron. Well, but that's, <laughs> that's LeBron. every team in the league. So, um, what a, what but, like, uh, Nurkic as a drop-back guy has been exceptional. Ed Davis as a drop-back guy has been really, right. really good. And I think that's obviously going to be a focus if, you know, you're defending uh, Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis pick and roll. Um, their focus is going to be, I think on guarding against the role and trying to contain Anthony Davis and sending extra guys from the corner to double team him. That's where I think Miritich could really come into play because uh, having a guy who can space the floor in the front court around Davis is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Drew as well, like they're going to give him space, I think to shoot, um, right. you know, and like, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to take mid range jumpers and floaters mm-hmm. and, um, a lot of the onus I think is going to fall on him because definitely the Blazers are going to game plan to take Davis out of the game to right. the extent that they can do that. So um, I'm interested to see like how how the Pelicans role players respond, mm-hmm. um, and particularly Miritich and Drew Holiday. And I, I do think like the Drew game matchup is going to be really fascinating um, because, again, that's a really good on-ball defender against a guy who is one of the most dynamic scorers in the league. Um, and I think this is probably going to be the most... Outright entertaining series of the first round. And I could definitely see it go in seven games. I'd probably give a slight nod to
0: Portland, but I, I think it's a coin flip. Yeah, I think home court is going to be important enough in a seven-game series like this. Um, because the two teams, yeah, one win apart. I mean, very close. And also the Blazers are stumbling a little bit heading to the Blast, whereas the Pelicans have played pretty well. So, And moving on to the last... Um, playoff series to preview in the Western Conference: the four versus the five, the Thunder versus the Jazz, the battle of two spurned small market teams. A lot of angst, um, you know, in these two fan bases. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say they're persecuted, but uh, I, I don't know. They just they kind of there's a little, just don't. don't they're talk. jilted.
1: Let's be real, right? Yeah. Like these are the most jilted franchises in the league, probably.
0: It's, it's not that close. I mean, the Sixers are coming up there, but like the Sixers are, like, are legitimately good. Um, and maybe the Celtics, but, I mean, whatever. The Celtics, that's just a reputation. Also, banners, you know? The Celtics have those banners. These two teams don't have banners. Famously, the Jazz don't have banners. Um, I don't know why I'm infuriating Jazz fans just right out the top. A lot of good Stockton Malone years, no championships. The, the Thunder won the season series 3-1. Um, I think the key in this series is really, look, the Thunder, like we talked about in the last um, podcast before this, they're a very dangerous team right and you know they can upset pretty much anybody but here's the thing it's not necessarily they're not really considered um the underdogs that are into the series and it, i think most people would think that thunder are the favorites despite the fact that the jazz had played way better than the thunder to close the season and you know the jazz have an incredible defense they have an incredible home atmosphere i guess the thunder do have, have, have that as well um but, you know, can the Thunder put it together and finally, like, just be on their best behavior and win games the way that their talent says they should be able to move on?
1: Man, it's tough to say. Like, <laughs> It's really well,
0: tell, tell us, us Joe. Okay, well,
1: here's the thing. Like, they really are straight up just going to have to make shots in the series, right? Because so much of their offense relies on what they're able to get at the rim, and that's going to be really hard for them to do in this series with mm-hmm. uh, Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors patrolling the paint. Um... And that means a guy like Carmelo Anthony is going to become really, really important. And a guy like Alex Abrinas is going to
0: become really important. Like, they're... Good Lord. We went from Carmelo to Alex Abrinas fast. I'm just saying they're and not one a very... One of is actually a better shooter, and that's Alex Abrinas right now. Okay, but
1: Paul... I mean, Paul George as well, obviously. But, like, they're, they're yeah. not a great jump shooting team, mm-hmm. and this is a series where they're going to have to make jump shots, and that's kind of a scary proposition, to be honest. Um, Steven Adams is, like, has a bunch of bulk... On Gobert, and so maybe that is the key to unlocking some things for OKC as well, and the fact that like, as good a def- defender as Gobert is, he's not necessarily a guy who can bang down low with the guy as big and as strong as Steven Adams. So maybe that's one way they can get around that problem, try and get him in foul trouble a little bit. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily expect Westbrook to change his mentality that much and, you know, stop driving
0: to the hoop just because Gobert is there, but like, nor should he really, he should still drive to the hoop. It's just, he should pass it out. Well, I mean,
1: yeah, maybe like that's again, like that's a a pretty strong deterrent standing there with a nine foot seven reach under the basket. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah it'll be interesting to see whether they continue to go at him and like try and get him in foul trouble or just try and finish around him or whether they actually change their approach into a more jump shot oriented one but i think any way you slice it they're really going to have to make shots and for a team as
0: inconsistent as they have been um i think that would worry me um one player that i'm looking at in particular in this series is not necessarily carmelo um I don't know. I think the Thunder have kind of given up on, like, expecting too much from Carmelo. It's it's nice when he contributes, but most of the times he doesn't. The guy that the Thunder absolutely need to contribute is Paul George. And Paul George in the past has been a very, very good playoff performer. Played LeBron, like, not toe-to-toe, but, like, maybe he was, like, 85% as good as LeBron in some of those Pacers Heat series, which seemed like forever ago now. Paul George has ended the season very poorly. He had one single game after the All-Star break. And he was fully healthy. And he played all these games. One single game in which he shot better than 50% from the field. And that was the last game of the season against the Memphis Grizzlies. Who famously lost by like 60 points this season. So... Paul George needs to really step up because he's going to be needed defensively. He's going to need to be out there guarding Donovan Mitchell. And, you know, based on the way Paul George has played, and let's let's keep in mind that Paul George said himself that something feels funky with my shot. He says there's something physically doesn't feel right with his shot, which is never what you want to hear from your start player. Cash, are you confident in Paul George uh, in his ability to step up and be a number two in a series as big as this? Because he's going to be needed um, for I everything. I am. I okay. think...
2: Look, I think if it was, if there was a a physical reason why his jumper was suddenly broken, you know, whether it was a health thing, or and I know him saying what he said is concerning,
0: but of course that that can always be said of Paul George. Paul George just likes to say things but the
2: thing is too if you look at paul george's history mm-hmm. he's had these kind of shooting slums like and pretty prolonged ones yeah. almost in every year of his career including his absolute best all nba years it's just this one seems a lot worse because it happened at the very end of the year mm-hmm. um on a team where it's maybe not championship or bust but it's deep runner bust so i think it's right. just kind of uh, really magnified this year because of the timing of it but no, I'm not worried about Paul George. Paul George, uh, if there's anything we know about Paul George, the guy's a big game performer. That is true, and he's a playoff performer. That is true, and um, you know he's going to be a two way beast when mm-hmm. the playoffs tip off this week. And I'm not concerned about him in that way. I am concerned though if you're a Thunder fan um, and and you think you have a clear advantage in this series because I'm not sure you do. I think the Thunder, in terms of top-end talent, sure, they've got the better players. We know that. Right. And I think getting home court on the last night of the season was huge. Because yeah, if ever course. there was a series where home court might be the difference between it, like, oh evenly matched, this might be it. Yeah. The difference between, you know, OKC hosting Game 7 in Utah, you mentioned it, just two insane fan bases, insane atmospheres. Yep. If you're looking for a home court swing, this was the series. And OKC getting it is big. Uh, but look, Utah was the best team in the league, for a 35-game sample to close the year. They went 29-6. Yep. and six. Yep. They had the best point differential in league during that time. Gobert, yep. we've already talked about. They beat
0: a lot of good teams. They
2: down had the stretch. best win profile of any yep. team down the stretch. So, again, the results are all there for Utah. that They are the better team.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but it's just so hard to pick against OKC when Utah just doesn't have the firepower. Yeah, And especially if Game 7 is going to end up... I think mm-hmm. this is going seven games. And I'd give the edge to the Thunder because of their star power and that home court advantage. But one thing I wanted to touch on quickly is... I think every year there's always one guy Mm -hmm. that is kind of like a nobody and maybe makes a little bit of a, a name for himself in the playoffs. You know, a couple years ago, if you guys remember when Troy Daniels had a couple good games in that series, okay. um, this name's going to be out of nowhere. But I really do think if there's like a guy you've never heard of that you might know after the first round of the playoffs, it's Royce O'Neill. Oh, I
0: thought you were going to say Joe Ingles again. No. Because we got to keep up our streak listen, of mentioning our co workers. You should know John, John who Joe
2: Ingles is already, all right? He's okay. not a star, but you should know. If you don't know Joe Ingles' name, you haven't been watching the NBA in the last couple years. One of the steadiest <laughs> 3D players in the league. But no, I'm talking about a guy you probably okay. actually have never heard of,
0: Royce O'Neal, And who yeah. could
2: make a difference in this series royce o'neill has uh low-key been really phenomenal defensively for the jazz this year and he like he's not i'm not coming out and saying he's gonna stop a paul george or they're gonna stick him on the perimeter and he's gonna shut russ down but this guy's legit an elite defender yeah yeah. and uh just remember that name if you know if a couple games in we're talking about royce o'neill having Mm -hmm. a, a big series I can't wait Defensively,
0: I can't wait to talk about Royce O'Neill next on week. On Monday's, podcast. Monday's
2: podcast is going to be the Royce O'Neill podcast. Right.
0: We're to do. We, I mean, we've been talking about this segment, cash considerations. That might have to be your cash consideration. You just come in and you deliver like a two-minute speech on Royce O'Neill having a why Royce O'Neill is the three-and-D player. Gordon
2: Hayward never was. <laughs> now <laughs> no, that's
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah, now you're sending like the I'll, salts. I'll leave that
2: one for that Jazz columnist The, who wrote the salty that, Lake uh, Tribune.
0: Yeah, gonna, uh, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Um, all right. Well, that does it for the playoffs. Uh, just the first round, not, not the whole playoffs. Uh, we'll be back on Monday, as always. Um, you know, Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify's on the way. I think Spotify's already there. It's just you can only see the first episode. We're going we're gonna to get that fixed. But Google Plays, we're going to look into that for sure. Um, and like I said earlier, support the podcast. We're really trying to get this thing off the ground. Uh, and it would really help if you uh, rate review and subscribe to the podcast especially if you're on itunes um, write those reviews give it five stars and it'll help the podcast grow but uh, in the meantime for uh, joe scasharo for joe Wolfon, for myself william lou you know thanks for listening to the pound the rock podcast